This is how to start the day, just a beautiful morning, and now take the physical beauty and turn it into spiritual beauty. Today, I want to talk about um, the course of human development. So if you take a look at, a, at, a, at an infant, young infants are notably selfish. If, if that word can be applied without any moral connotation, they, they think the world revolves around them and that everyone in their life and everyone around them is there to serve them. They cry when they're hungry. They don't stop crying until they're fed. And they go to sleep when they're tired. And actually, for the first few months of life, there are no distinctions or separations. Everyone and everything appears to be part of this all-encompassing extension of themselves. Now, That lasts for a short period of time. The next stage of life, of human development, is what psychologists call separation, individualization. Where infants come to realize that their state of existential separateness, and as the child grows older and matures, they come to the realization that they are actually other people with their own wants, with their own needs and their own desires. And at some point, the child learns things like sympathy, things like empathy, becoming capable of placing themselves in another person's shoes and feeling, hopefully, feeling another person's predicament. Now, let's take a look at human perspective from human development from this perspective. The life of a healthy person can be seen as a perpetual decline of the ego. The perpetual decline of self-orientation as well as a simultaneous and continuous incline of sensitivity and awareness of others. So a person's feelings are almost completely egotistic. They're almost completely selfish. And then as we grow older, both physically and mentally, we become more selfless We become more transcendental. We have the ability to go beyond ourselves. So we can surmise from this developmental viewpoint that, and as we've spoken here before, while the Yetzir Hara, what we call the evil inclination, which is self-serving, it's egotistical, it's instinct, it fully inhabits the body immediately at conception. And the Yetzir Tov, according to the Talmud, the good inclination, 
which is that transcendent inclination, even though it begins to develop at conception, it doesn't become fully absorbed or integrated within the body until the time of mental maturity. Traditionally, according to the Torah, maturity is seen for girls at the age of 12 and for boys at the age of 13. And that is why we celebrate the Barambat Mitzvah, as we've spoken before. Intellectual and mental maturity. What is that? That includes the ability to value others, to discern and dispense proper judgment, meaningful decision-making, coming together with and is a result of the transcendent element of the soul coming more clearly into focus. That is mental and emotional maturity. Now, once that transcendence begins to settle in, the life of the healthy and well-integrated person becomes a balancing act between between these two forces. The self-centered action is necessary to get us out of bed in the morning, to take care of ourselves, maybe if we end up having dependents, to take care of our dependents. And the transcendent soul ensures that the self-involvement does not become at the expense of other people. I don't know if you understood that. But I'll say it simply. It's the transcendent soul that's supposed to be egotistical. It's the ego and instinct that's supposed to get us up in the morning. You see, so often it becomes reverse. It just means that we're immature. That's all it means. If we have it reversed, it's just an immaturity. Which means if the if the the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, is the one that's the driving factor in our lives, then we haven't transcended. We haven't gone beyond ourselves. We haven't found that ability to create the balancing act. I'm going to explain this a little differently by looking at the opposite way, which means let's take a look at unidirectional transcendence. What is unidirectional transcendence? For those of you who've studied various philosophies, you're probably aware of this. It's the result of a total surrendering of the I, of the self. Now, in Judaism, that's not considered a virtue. It's actually not even considered spiritual. It's actually more akin to a psychological breakdown which means ultimately the outer eye of self and the inner eye of self-need. I'll say that again. The outer eye of self and the inner eye of self-need to be properly balanced against each other 
And only then can the fullness of who we are be fully expressed. You follow? So ask me a question. I'm not even sure what question to ask. So we're going to stop. In a sense, if uh, me, for instance, it's my Yetzirah that keeps me in bed every morning. And it's my reasonable self that gets me up because I know I have a mission for the day. So when you tell me to Yetzirah that gets you out of bed and makes you accomplish things, I either have to reconsider my perspective or I'm already down the road to evolution. (laughs) And I don't want to flatter myself. (laughs) What what I'm trying to talk about here is the outer eye versus the inner eye. Think about it a second. Imagine if you could make decisions in your life based on your transcendental self, based on the outer eye. Imagine that for a moment. Imagine if you woke up in the morning because you felt an existential need to perfect the world. Perfect is not a good word, to better the world. So instead of getting out of bed in the morning because quote-unquote, the baby is crying. Or getting out of bed in the morning because if you don't, then your family's not going to have food on the table, which is a very primal reason to get out of bed. Imagine if the first... Now, I'm not saying the primal need is not good. Again, we're not saying one to the exclusion of the other. We're asking ourselves, what is the primary drive in my life? What is the reason when I open my eyes, that first moment, what's the reason I'm waking up? Well, the reason why I'm waking up is because God gave me another day of life. And if God gave me another day of life, it means that there is something for me to accomplish in this world today that I couldn't accomplish yesterday. And I probably God willing, won't be able to accomplish tomorrow. I may have to if I don't accomplish it today. But ideally, I don't want to have to accomplish it tomorrow. So imagine if that's the primary goal for waking up in the morning. Julianne. So put mine in the chat. Yeah, I I saw I saw those in the chat. It's not necessarily having anything to do with this class, so I'm going to leave it for later. Oh, but but you I want to keep keep it on topic. Oh, but you said it was about us being not mature. So I thought, well, we could be mature, but we're prevented from it. So why are we prevented from it? Well, because and 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 this okay, I'll, I'll answer that part of it. 
it, it goes back to free choice. The way that God designed our world is with free choice. Free choice is real. So whatever, however we're born, if we were born like an angel, then it would defeat the entire purpose of free choice. We, we, this needs to come from us. This is our process. This is our development. This is our job. We come into this world to work, to make this world better. Because our soul has a unique purpose in this world that no soul before us, that no soul after us, and no soul during our lifetime has the same unique purpose as we do. And so if if it was all spoon-fed to us, I mean, that's great when we're infants. An infant needs to be spoon-fed. But that's it. And not only that, but if because I have the unique joy of having to use infants as example, because I have, thank God, an infant or at least a toddler in my life. When, when he, the moment he understood a little bit, he doesn't want to be fed anymore. You put the food in front of him, he'll be very happy to eat himself. So even instinctively, even a toddler understands that spoon feeding only lasts a certain amount of time. And at some point, you want to be independent. Because if you look at the very nature, the way God created us was to be independent. So let's take that independence and capture it, live with it, and let it drive us. So the very fact that God gave us this independence, what do I do with it now? What do I do with it now? I allow it to create the meaning and purpose that I need in my life. That's what it's about. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. So what about the previous lives? Because we did um, what we became. So if you talk about the previous lives, well, first of all, I don't think it's fair to talk about previous lives because we don't know necessarily. I mean, we can talk existentially about previous lives, but not reality about previous lives. Because even if previous lives on an existential level had a purpose to them, the purpose that I'm here now is for a, a unique reason. Otherwise, if I would have done it, I wouldn't have to come back. So the fact that I'm here, when I wake up in the morning, the fact that I'm here, not only the fact that I'm here in this world, 
The fact that I am here in this life, the fact that I'm here at this age of my life, and the fact that I'm here today has a unique reason. But, but we could have kept that maturity and done it with the maturity as well. Yeah, but then we wouldn't, that, then, then we'd be spoon-fed that maturity. One of the things that we say to the, one of the things that we say, sorry to interrupt you, but one of the things that we say to the bar mitzvah or the bat mitzvah is it's in your hands. I can't invent maturity for you. You have to become mature. And that's what God is saying to us. So we have to re-earn it each life, even though we earned it in the previous one. That's right. And, and, and based on I was Azure's question just now, I want to just say it's not existential. It's not profound. We're not talking about, oh, what's the, the meaning of life and what's my purpose in this world? We've already established that in previous classes. It's not existential. It could mean that you opened your eyes today to smile at someone else to uplift their day, and that is why you came into this world today. That's okay. But part of that maturity is to be able to notice that. Instead of living in your own bubble, to notice that you're not alone. You're not on an island alone. That your life is fluid, and there's other people in it, and there's other experiences in it, and you are part. The fact that you saw that person today, the fact that we all see each other here today, there's a reason for that. And we are all part of each other's lives today. And it's our job right now for this hour of our morning to uplift one another. That's our job. That's our place right now. It's hard to think about it. So. What I'm asking is that instead of the primal being our driving force, let the transcendental, let the existential be our driving force. Those words are very profound words. They're just translations of Hebrew words. I don't know what they really mean. But let the smile of your morning be your driving force. How does that sound? It doesn't have to be so profound. Well, it is profound. See, the smile of the morning is profound. Because if there's no reason to smile this morning, then the fact that you're alive is enough of a reason to smile. That's the transcendental. It's going beyond the eye and realizing the true eye. And I agree with you. It's unfair that we have to do that. But the problem is, is that we don't have the bird's eye view of it. We only have whatever my eyes can see, what's in front of me. If we had the bird's eye view, then we'd know. And if we knew, this would all be obvious to us. I'm just going to, I'm going to move on. Sorry, this is my allergies today. The, the part of 
the evil inclination, part of the Yetzirahara is that it perceives reality as fragmented events. It perceives reality as objects that are unrelated to each other. That they're unhinged from their source. Antithetically, the good inclination, the Yetzer Tov, its outlook is intuitive. Its outlook is, is all-encompassing. It's able to sense intuitively the oneness of the creator that permeates all creation and the reality within the diversity of this seemingly splintered universe. The the 17th century scientific revolution brought about the the rise of, of atomism, which views the world as consisting of fragmented particles with each unit isolated in time and space. And this construct inevitably spilled over into philosophy. So when John Locke asserted that that, that social whole is an illusion and the rights and needs of the individual were primary, all he was doing was taking the scientific hypothesis of his time to its logical conclusion as applied to social philosophy. What happened is years later, Sigmund Freud spoke of the human being as an amorphous entity isolated within impenetrable boundaries of the ego and concluded that people could never know each other in any real and intimate way. Actually, if you think about it, Freud went as far as to say that the commandment to love thy neighbor as thyself is the most impossible commandment ever written. According to Freud, nobody can truly love another as themselves. That's how we looked at the ego. We don't believe that. And we're also happy that psychology today has gotten further than Freud, and it doesn't believe that either. So these, these ideas and these sentiments are true if we take the human being to be nothing more than the ego. If we are defined by our ego, if our lives are our ego, then Freud is right, Locke is right, they're all right. But the ego is not the whole of us. The ego and its attendant sense of separate individuality is our lower surface self. The soul is our transcendent aspect, our higher self. So Freud's genius was that he unearthed the lowest nature within us. Mazel tov. Wonderful. Great job, Freud. 
And he did so unflinchingly and brilliantly. But we have the choice not to stay on the surface level of our lives. We have the choice not to stay on the waves of the ocean. We could find the deep waters beneath, as Jill always likes when I talk about this. We have the choice to unveil the higher levels of self and make them shine in all of their brilliance. That is really what our choice is. We could stay Freudian. And as long as we stay Freudian, he was brilliant for that. But that's not the only place we have to be. We can go a level deeper and maybe even a level deeper than that. And maybe even a level deeper than that. And at that point, the brilliance of Freud doesn't even exist anymore. And that's your choice. Before I take your questions, I know some of you are waiting. I want to go back to the ego for a moment. Being that the perspective of what I'm going to now call, instead of the ego, but the self-centered inclination, being that it's limited, being that it's confined, and because it's confined, it informs the person to seek that which is rewarding in the moment. Effectively, it inspires the person to pursue only realities that can be immediately perceived and tangibly felt. Now, the opposite is the impulse. There's a deeper self. There's a a transcendent soul that beholds the entire picture beyond what's right in front of your eyes at any given moment. And as the transcendent aspect of self looks into the past, it becomes aware of the present and then envisions the future. It forces us to take a deeper look at our life in order to take all of life and reality into consideration. So it's true. It's true that acting out of a selfish urge can satisfy the moment. And as Alexandra said earlier, it can even wake you up in the morning. But ultimately, beyond that moment, it could prove to be counterproductive. It could prove to be detrimental eventually. Because you end up feeling good for a moment, but then you're going to end up feeling down throughout the day. You're going to feel like you're out of energy. The sages said it like this, the lure of the Yetzirah, the lure of the evil inclination may be sweet in the beginning, but it will be bitter in the end. In general, selfishness breeds contempt. It breeds contempt for anyone who stands in the way of its goals. It creates an inability to relate to other people in any other way other than utilitarian cogs in the wheel of our own desires. Either they serve me or they don't serve me. That's not a way to live. 
A lot of people live that way. I'm sure you can think on the top of your head very easily of people that in your life that live that way. But those people are really lonely because they can't lean. And probably in the end, it's going to be the source of their apathy and their despair. So if everybody else in your life is just a utilitarian need of how you can use them at that given moment, then you're actually doing yourself a disservice. It's good for the moment. It helps in the moment. And very often, and throughout history, and maybe in some of our lives, we just live in this, uh, in this survival mode. So if you're living in survival, that's okay. Sometimes we have to live in survival. But if you're living in survival, you have to know. Just call it. I'm living in survival. And so that utilitarian need is good for now. But it's just good for now. It's not good for, for a long period of time. And so if you end up in despair or if you end up depressed or if you end up feeling down, and it doesn't have to even be in a particular time in your life, it could be at a particular time of your day, then it's sad. And I'm sad for people like that. But I get it. I do. I get it. And I'm not saying that it's not real and it's not possible. And I'm not saying that it's not part of people's lives. We're not trying. But what we're trying to do here is try to go beyond that and fi find the idealism and find the existentialism and find what really what's really real. Questions? I was about to type, but since someone is speaking, then I, I will take the, the mic. Um, I was thinking that if, if we find our set of values and we follow them, we measure and adjust when necessary, then I feel that we, we can follow that purpose as opposed to let the ego um, take over. Yes, that's, that's all it is. I think that it seems more profound than it actually is, but it's not so profound. Well, it seems fairly easy. It, it is fairly I mean, easier said than done. I, it's it's not always uh, easy it, to live by our own values, but you know. It's also it's easy because effort. we have a sense of privilege today. We live in a time period that we don't have to worry about surviving. Thank God. And I understand that for many centuries, for many generations, for our grandparents, it wasn't a reality in their life. They couldn't think about this. They didn't have time on a random Thursday morning to have this conversation. They didn't have time to have any, to, to think about anything that was beyond survival. So it is a sense of privilege. But now that we have the privilege, let's do something about it. 
That's all I'm saying. Well, that's what Judaism does, right? With the with the mitzvot, it gives us a frame within which to behave and 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 experience life through the values. Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, it it, it exists there on a theoretical level, but it has to be put into practice. The the teachings and the theory is only as good as what you do with it. And that's why in Judaism, education is not the conveying of a message. It's not edukara. It's chinuch, which is dedication. It's the action. It's what you do with what you know, not what you know. What you know is not a fraction as good as what you do with it. Right? When Aristotle said, today I'm not Aristotle the philosopher. Well, then what gives you the right to be Aristotle to begin with? If you're not going to live by that which you say. I mean, you're still human, but at least make an effort. Don't justify your, your wrongdoings. Bami. Uh, good morning. So, uh, so, I think the genius of Judaism is like to translate exactly as you said, the rabbi, is, is to translate like uh, values in concrete actions. And that's who means what. It's, it's, that's, that's, that's the genius. It's not, it does not matter what you think, it's what matters what you do. Yeah. Which is why it's not an oxymoron to be an atheist Jew. Because you don't have to believe to do it. So what that you don't believe? I'll never forget this. Mo- I'll never forget this moment when I was a teenager. I I I was uh, I was in a park and I and uh, and I saw a man that was sitting there and 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 I, I he looked Jewish to me and I asked him. It was a nice morning and I asked him if he wanted to put on tefillin. I had my tefillin with me. And he looked at me and he said, you see what I'm doing right now? I'm sitting here eating a ham sandwich. And you're asking me to put on tefillin. And I smiled. And I don't know. Okay, I don't know if I have the same wit today. But I was a, I was a, a wide-eyed teenager. And I said, but you're eating the ham sandwich with your right hand and tefillin you put on your left hand. So, there are, so... We- and it's not it's not a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. No, no, no. no it's, yeah. it is. So Judaism is based on and correct me if I'm wrong. We have three pillars: redemption, revelation, and creation. So re, 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 redemption is part of it. This is how. But again, the genius of uh, our origin is like we, at the forefront, we understand that the world, this world is not perfect. Yes. We understand, we, 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 and it takes generation to change it. We understand that. So the best way to survive is through values, and and that will have been translated from his voice. That's that's the genius of the thing. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Absolutely. 
It's like, it's like, you know, we, we do not contemplate like theoretical physics, you know, and, you know, this, we, 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 we understand that this world is, is not perfect and we, God gives it like a way to, to, to change it, but it's not instantane. Yeah. It takes time. Absolutely. Someone just asked if he touched it with the wrong hand, the pig hand, so to speak, would that invalidate the film? No, that's the beauty of it. It's not a zero-sum game. It's not all or nothing. He could smear the pig all over it. It's not going to invalidate it. Rabbi, I, I once heard that um, in, in a different class, uh, not yours, you know, the, the Israeli rabbi I follow, like the French slash Tunisian slash Israeli rabbi. What? You go to another class besides mine? <laughs> no, I don't go. I don't make time for it. I listen to it from time to time, the recording. See? I'm joking. Less important. I am totally joking. <laughs> and he I'm was very saying, happy. More, more classes, more wisdom, more good. Yes. Exactly. I, I have to say that I sometimes boil on my chair with what I hear uh, because is um, much less moderate than you are. And so sometimes it gets on my nerves, but that's a different conversation. But I, I remember what he was sa saying once was that kosher, yes, of course, kosher is very important. Kosher is something we need to follow. But on the scale of sins, it would be worse to disrespect your parents or your in-laws than it would be to not be kosher. I don't think we have the ability to know what's what's better or worse. And again, I want to say this. I'm not moderate. I don't consider myself moderate. I'm very strong, very, very strong about the values of Judaism. I, I consider yourself, you, I, and it's my perception of you. And, and you know, as I was reading... Like the, there's uh, 10,000 people, there's 10,000 times us because there's my perception of you, Sarah's perception of you, Jill's perception of you, exactly. your own perception of you, you know, Jen's perception of you. So we're 15,000 people in a day. Uh, but I see in front of me a person who is willing to look at all the people's lifestyles with respect and that's what i call moderate can i can i tell you the secret please listen that's it listen that's the secret it's hard it's hard not to be formulating your answer when someone else is talking it's hard not to be waiting for the person to finish It's hard. But what God wants us to do is listen. You know how we know? Because we have one mouth and two ears. Which must mean that we have to listen twice as much as we speak. Otherwise, we'd have two mouths and one ear. And we have two nostrils so we can uh, breathe before we actually speak. <laughs> Boom. Maybe I can give another perspective on how I think about this. So God is 
is very slow. Oh, oh. It is this proverb, like God is like, but God is very slow to before judging people. Like he give you time, you can do teshuva. You know, he is waiting for you. So we we so if we want to be at his image, we have to be take very slow or very like don't judge people. Like take your time. Plenty, because like uh, before, judging people, you have to be very slow. I mean, uh, so before judging anyone, you have to take your time and give it and give him like even like two, three, five, ten times the amount the time that he needs to before judging anyone. So if you want to be at his image, as his image, you know, this is what I think. Yeah, I agree with you. You have to be very slow. I mean, uh, God will judge anyway. God will judge them. Anyway. I, I I don't. I mean, look, if you if you if you want to be in in God's image, then then you think very highly of yourself. I know that you were created in God's image, but to be in God's image is very different than being created in God's image. And I wouldn't want to judge anybody. Or or, or take your time. Or we have to be patient. Have to be you know, patient. you know, do you know how God judges? God created light and dark, and then said it was good. And on Tuesday, He said it was good twice. That's judgment. So when I see you, because you're part of God's creation, all I'm going to say, Bami, He's good. That's what judgment is. It's very quiet on the on the rest of the room. So, Les, what do you have to say? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. There's a lot swirling around in my brain from this conversation so far. Uh, my favorite idea to meditate on is that, you know, the mundane is actually the transcendent. Mm. I think that's a, a beautiful way to be in the present and live the day. I'm happy you caught on to that. Makes dishes way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? This is a very transcendent experience. That's that's amazing. You know what? Since that was such a beautiful nugget, you want to pass it on? I'd love to. I haven't heard from Jill today. How are you, Jill? I'm good. Thanks, Celeste. Um, As always, lots to ponder. Um, And I in any of your classes, I'm always, how do I put this into everyday real life? How does this affect me? How does, how do I work this? And, um, I, you know, I'm thinking about, I almost didn't come to class this morning because I was really exhausted and a quarter of, I was like, okay, I'm going. It's like something else just got me out of bed. I don't know if that was the combo of the, the ego and the transcendence, it was something. 
But, you know, at the 11th hour, I knew I couldn't miss it. Um, I wouldn't have been able to sleep. Um, so thinking about that, thinking about, uh, I, I've got to make a decision about a business thing. And it's not clear. So I'm, I'm trying to apply this, these ideas. Where, do, where is it coming from? What's the uncomfortableness? What's, you know, what's my own stuff? But um, thanks for saying that Celeste, the, you know, mundane is the transcendence because um, I can get kind of lost in there's there's something bigger and forget about not forget about but not really experience where i am now be in the present i guess is that as it says as it is said so that was a little jumbled but that's i think what i'm gonna take away from today um how about fami thank you so uh, I think I, I, so we are learning a lot here and, uh, and, 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 and again, me, what fascinates me about, again, about Judaism is like, uh, and I'm coming from another tradition, right? So is how it can take theoretical ideas and translate them into real action to how to we, 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 the world is not perfect, but how, what can we do to make it better? That's, that's the most important. What can we do? And, and, and from the beginning, we, are, we know that we cannot do a lot. It's like we only can, we only can do like, uh, we only can change through the tools that God gives us, which is like the mitzvot and uh, that's why if you have kids and you know you have kids here, the most important things that you can give to your kids is values. Give to your kids values, not give them, not give them like presents and because uh, values will, I mean, they will continue our, I mean, our mission, but, but if you give them like, uh, uh, if you give them like presents, you will spoil them forever. So this is this is this is exactly what Judaism is. So we have a set of values. We know like we cannot change the world, but we will stick to them, and we try to make the world better. Maybe we we will, we won't succeed. Maybe our kids will, will succeed. So it will go generation through generation through generation through generation. And this is how basically, if you, I will think about this. So if you if you if you think about like like uh, Jewish people like living like in most hostile environments through the histories, pogroms, like in North Africa, we throw them out, like but we still they still survived and thrived. Why? Because they kept their values. They kept their faith to God and and. And you know, so, so me sometimes like I smile like when I hear like let's say in Israel we have like big, big army. It's not the army who matters. It's how much faith in God you have. It's He will protect you. Of course, I mean. So values is one of the most important thing. And. Uh, 
Okay, so who can go now? Maybe Alessandra, my fellow Tunisian. <laughs> Your fellow Tunisian. I'm in a Tunisian home in uh, in Guadeloupe right now. There's fish everywhere hanging. Oh, <laughs> but let me show you. Look, there's one. I love that. Yeah. Do you see it? Yeah. And then there's two there. And there's more. Hold on. Just for the sake of the conversation. Oh, look at this big one. And these. <laughs> yeah, these are, yeah, I like these, yeah. <laughs> There's fish everywhere. So, <laughs> so me, I'm into the, I, I love the, how does God um, judge is the good. And uh, since we have done a whole class on uh, positive bias, which I have adopted in my life and, and I try to stick to it. It's not as easy every day. But I stick with the, it's good. It's all good. It is good. Good. And I loved when Celeste a, a couple of weeks ago said uh, when she was younger with her friends, they would say what's good instead of saying what's up. So I've been trying to place that, but it's not working for me yet. But as soon as I find an opportunity to say, hey, what's good? I'll say it. <laughs> so that that's my uh Maybe because I'm in God's environment here, I'm in paradise. So, you know, when I come here, I see paradise with my own eyes and I'm grateful. So thank you. And I'll pass it on to Jack. Thank you. Um, and thank you, Celeste, for summarizing it so succinctly. I love that the mundane is um, transcendent. I know we've talked about it in classes before, but every reminder I get is helpful. And the other thing I was thinking of in this class and um, <laughs> uh, is that the animal soul is like a donut. And it's been a few years since I've had a donut. But the idea is like, you look at it and it looks really good and you have that first bite and you're like, oh, this is really good. But if you actually continue like the second bite, it's worse. And then the more you eat it, you end up feeling sick. So that was my takeaway today. And I'll pass along to Alana. <laughs> So I, I I don't really have anything to add except uh, thank you. Yeah. I just have to absorb, which is something I think I hear Jill say once in a while. So I'm stealing it from you. Okay, I'll pass it on to uh, MJ. Thank you. Um, I'm a bit... Uh... What's the word? It was just amazing. This class is 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 just amazing. It, it I learned so much. Um, I'm absorbing a lot. <laughs> I love the the talk about fur <laughs> and um, how you explain that. Um, yeah, I want to say the same thing. I want to say thank you because. Um, you went to util utilitarian needs 
I had to write all this thing down. I, I could not write fast enough. <laughs> and then, um, wow, it was just really good, seriously. A lot to think about, a lot to chew on. Selflessness breathed contempt. That one was a, was a big nugget for me. I was like, wow, okay, I've never seen or heard it this way. And obviously, mundane is transcend. I think that Celeste said that. Maybe I'm saying the sentence wrong. I'm not sure. But uh, related to mid-spot, I suppose. Anyways, it was amazing. I loved it. It was great. A mine of nuggets, which I cannot even explain right now. So, yeah, I still have to absorb. Thank you so much. Um, where should I pass it to who? Sorry, I'm on my phone, so I can't really see everyone. Did everyone pass? I think Julianne is the only one that's missed, that's left. Okay, so let's go with Julianne. All right. Guess Sorry, I forgot what it was. Um, Just Julian, give us a give us a nugget. Give us one nugget. Oh, and Kelsey, you're right, and Kelsey. Yeah. Julian, you have a you have a nugget. Um, I, I might tap in something. I have to think. Okay. No worries. Kelsey. Thank you, Alessandra. Um, Angel, I'm really happy that you showed up to class. Um, I've just been thinking that it, there's just such a beautiful simplicity to it all. I mean, we get so wrapped up in trying to find the meaning of life and everything. And if you really just simplify it, it's the baby stair steps that we take that are so important and you know celeste already summed that up and just um the way god judges that the light Daddy. and the dark are both good Daddy. <laughs> and we have a nice visitor this morning hello hello This is really amazing, very special. And I'm happy that uh, for a change, we were able to finish on time, which is a good uh, a good thing. It's good to start on time. It's good to finish on time. So uh, may this day be a day filled with many, many blessings, many joy, and many moments of seeing the spiritual and the existential in the, in the dishes, in Celeste's words. And, Thank you. Thank you, everyone. We'll call it a day, and uh, for those of you who are staying for Talmud, we're uh, we'll, we'll we'll start in a few minutes. Okay. Have a good day. I I can't Bye. stay for it, but hope to rejoin next week. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next fifty people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course.
Now on to today's episode. 